Today on the Matt Walsh Show, an alleged beauty brand has partnered with a morbidly obese BLM grifter who's best known for getting a white student kicked out of school based on false accusations. This is what corporate virtue signaling has come to. Also, Cleveland Catholic schools have banned all things LGBT from their classrooms completely. It's a fantastic policy that every school should adopt. Plus, John Fetterman has completely lost his mind, but we're not supposed to notice, I guess. And Colin Kaepernick wants to try out for the starting quarterback job on the New York Jets, but isn't that a form of slavery, according to him? We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Are you one of the millions of American men and women dealing with premature hair thinning and hair loss? Or maybe you're scared about inheriting that thinning look because it runs in the family. Well, finally, there's a real solution that delivers on its promise without the harsh side effects, unwanted chemicals, and unpleasant smells. Provia Hair Care uses a safe, natural ingredient called Procapil to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning and loss. Provia supports healthy scalp circulation and delivers nourishing ingredients to strengthen hair follicles and anchor them to your scalp. Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the shower drain. Provia is effective for men and women of any age and safe on colored, treated, and styled hair. Provia works guaranteed or 100% of your money back. It's that easy. Right now, new customers save over 50% off Provia's introductory package at proviahair.com slash Walsh. See results for yourself right now. Don't wait. That's proviahair.com slash Walsh. During yesterday's show, I made a prediction that, in retrospect, was a bit premature. I said that Apple's Mother Nature skit would be by far the cringiest example of corporate virtue signaling over the past few weeks. And in case you missed it, Tim Cook trotted out an overweight black woman playing Gaia, who was uh, written to be as obnoxious and overbearing as possible. And this plus-sized Mother Nature kept harassing a bunch of chubby multicultural actors playing Apple executives about their environmental initiatives. And of course, uh, the Apple executives being the committed pagans that they are somehow managed to meet all of her demands. And after watching that, in my defense, it didn't seem like any other major corporation could one-up Apple in terms of over-the-top, shameless pandering to the most unappealing, self-loathing elements of the far left. But as it turns out, Apple was not the only big company recently that has uh, been looking to exploit the archetype of a severely overweight black woman for political gain. Dove, which is supposedly a beauty company, has just doubled down on that strategy. They've hired a morbidly obese BLM grifter by the name of Zayana Bryant. And this effort by them in terms of wokeness, uh, it really takes the cake in every conceivable sense of the phrase. Dove's latest marketing strategy is not simply cringy. It's not simply calibrated to deliver a very clear anti-white message. It's also a window into the logical endpoint of leftism because it's a manifestation of all of the seven deadly sins, really, but especially gluttony and sloth. Now, before I get into why this is such a revealing moment, we should begin with the first Instagram video that Dove has um, paid this Zayana Bryant person to make. And this is apparently what companies do now when they want to light their reputations on fire. Bud Light did it, and now Dove is getting in on the action. Watch. 
My belief is that we should be centering the voices and experiences of the most marginalized people and communities at all times. So when I think about what fat liberation looks like to me, it looks like centering the voices and the experiences of those who live in and who maneuver through spaces and institutions in a fat body. It looks like making accessible spaces and having conversations that are aware of the fact that people have different bodies and that they are interacting with space and people and institutions and communities in a different way. Fat liberation looks like fully embracing those differences and having those conversations instead of shying away from them. To learn more about fat liberation and the campaign for size freedom that Dove is supporting, visit dove.com forward slash size freedom. Tap in, join the campaign, support the campaign. This is important and we should all be talking about it. Beautiful woman, uh, obviously goes without saying. Now, and notice also she says we have to center uh, the voices of the supposedly marginalized people at all times, at all times. So she should be the center always. There's never a time when anyone else should be at the center. It's always her. Now, uh, this is not the critical point here, but it's always also worth noting the absurd, comically pretentious way that these people speak. The woke crowd speaks in something that is not really a human language. I mean, nobody talks this way. Maneuvering through spaces in a fat body, no normal human being would ever use a phrase like that, okay? That, what have you ever heard someone say that in conversation? Well, you know, I'm just maneuvering through this space in a body. You're not maneuvering through a space in a fat body. You're just a fat girl walking into a room. That's what you're doing. But their worldview is so empty. It's so vacuous. It's so lacking in any intellectual substance that they have to add 14 extra syllables to every sentence to distract people from the fundamental stupidity of everything that they're saying. Anyway, Zion Bryant is a member of a marginalized group, she says, and uh, she's seeking something called fat liberation. Now, you might assume that the way to achieve fat liberation is to go for a jog and eat a salad, but that's not what she means. And to her, it means that we need to uh, be aware of the fact that people have different bodies. Apparently, that was something that most Americans were not aware of. We needed Zion Bryant to tell us people have different bodies. And then we, and then we all said, oh, people have di- I thought everyone had the same body. I didn't realize fat people existed. Because we somehow didn't notice you when you walked into the room. Now, to understand what the actual purpose of this advertising campaign is, you need to know more about Zayana Bryant and why she's a hero in leftist circles. So uh, that goes back to the summer of 2020 during the BLM riots when Bryant, who again is supposedly a member of a marginalized group, destroyed the life of a white student at the University of Virginia named Morgan Bettinger. The details of what happened are outlined in Bettinger's recent lawsuit against UVA, UVA alleging anti-white discrimination by the school's administrators who endorsed Bryant's lies. This is a lawsuit that hasn't gotten much coverage, but ultimately it could rival the landmark litigation against Oberlin by Gibson's Bakery, which Oberlin smeared as racist. We talked about that in the past. That lawsuit, as you might remember, ended with a $36 million verdict against Oberlin. And UVA may soon face something similar. So here's the background. On the evening of July 17th, 2020, Bettinger was driving through downtown Charlottesville in her uh, Subaru station wagon. And that's when she came across a massive BLM protest that, as BLM protests tend to do, was blocking all of the major roads in town. Demonstrators were lying on the roadway, obstructing traffic. And to protect these protesters from getting hit by cars, the city of Charlottesville deployed a dump truck to block the main road completely. So the city 
did not arrest the BLM rioters for breaking the law and preventing people from going where they needed to go. Instead, the city effectively encouraged them and even participated in the riot by blocking the roads to give them space to riot, which goes back to the infamously several years ago, the mayor of Baltimore said that if, if people want to riot, we need to give them space to destroy. And that, of course, is what many cities did during 2020. Charlottesville, no exception. So they lent the thugs a dump truck uh, for the purpose of, of being able to have the riot. Now, Bettinger, understandably, didn't know what to do. She was trying to get home from her 12-hour shift at her summer job, and she didn't know, like, how am I supposed to get home? You blocked all the roads. After waiting a bit, she exited her car, approached the dump truck driver to see what was going on. And, and she said she said the following words to the dump truck driver, or something to this effect, Okay. She said, quote, well, it's a good thing you're here because otherwise they could be speed bumps, referring to the protesters lying in the street, like saying that, well, it's good you're here because otherwise they're gonna, people are going to run over them and they turn into speed bumps. This was such an innocuous conversation that when university investigators later asked the dump truck driver about it, he had no recollection that Bettinger had, had said anything to him because it was, it was nothing. It was, a, it was a nothing conversation and there was nothing threatening in her tone. She was making an idle observation to one person about the fact that the dump truck driver was preventing those rioters from getting run over by cars. But some of the BLM rioters nearby heard Bettinger's comment, and they decided that it was somehow a threat. And they swarmed her car and threatened to kill her. One of the BLM activists who didn't hear what Bettinger said, but was nonetheless very offended by it, was Zayana Bryant. Bryant wrote a series of viral tweets claiming that Bettinger's statement, which she heard about secondhand, amounted to a dangerous act of white supremacy. For example, she wrote, quote, email these UVA deans now to demand that Morgan face consequences for her actions and that UVA stop graduating races. Remember, the, the, the BLM rioters swarmed her car, attacking her, but she's the one who needs to face consequences. In response to this, local news outlets accepted Brian's claims without any hesitation. One outlet, Seaville, reported that Bettinger had issued a chilling and violent threat. Several UVA faculty members openly mocked Bettinger as well as Bettinger's faith and called for her immediate expulsion. The school opened not one, but three investigations into Bettinger. And ultimately, UVA kicked her out of school, banned her from stepping foot on campus. They released public statements implying that she's a white supremacist. Very quickly, under the guidance of a UVA dean, a four-member panel of undergraduates convicted Bettinger of misconduct during a, one of these kangaroo trials at three in the morning. This was not exactly a rigorous judicial process. Evidence showed, uh, shows that, that if the panel of undergraduates didn't convict her, they feared that uh, the day's big football game would have been canceled by a BLM riot. So under the threat of riots, they convicted her of, uh, they, they, they gave the writers exactly what they wanted. Now, around the same time, um, as the lawsuit lays out, UVA took other actions that made it clear that they have a strong and pervasive anti-white bias on campus. To give one example, a black student stood up and told white students to leave the common area on campus and uh, because they're white, and the administration didn't do anything about it. And that incident was caught on video. Several more examples just like that one in the suit. It wasn't until more than a year after the incident that UVA cleared Bettinger of wrongdoing. Although they still treated her like a pariah. And Zayana Bryant, at long last, over a year later, admitted that she might have misheard what she was told secondhand 
Uh, and, uh, and, and so maybe she was wrong about it. But by that point, the damage was done. Bettinger's career prospects were ruined. She wanted to go to law school, but no law school would take her. Her employer fired her. You know, she was smeared publicly nationwide as a white supremacist. After all the death threats and investigations and, and, and the public smear campaign to this day, Morgan Benger suffers from an array of serious psychological problems. I mean, real psych, this is actual real trauma that she's suffering from. And, and just to emphasize the injustice that was done to Bettinger, consider that this treatment would have been way, way overboard, even if she had really done what they accused her of doing. So even if she had said in a threatening or taunting way that the idiots lying in the road would become speed bumps, or even if she said they should become speed bumps, even if she got out of her car and yelled and said, you all should become speed bumps, you're lying in the road, you morons. Let's say she had said that. She didn't, but what if she did? That still would not even come close to justifying anything that was done to her. In that case, she would be expressing entirely understandable frustration at the moronic thugs clogging up the roads. And she would be saying and thinking what really almost everyone says, or at least thinks, when there are a bunch of idiot protesters blocking the road. And she shouldn't face any consequence at all for that. But, but that's not what happened. That's not what she said or did. And her life was still destroyed. Zayana Bryant's life, on the other hand, has had a very different trajectory. For destroying a white student at UVA based on a falsehood, Bryant has received one award after another. In 2021, a year after her lies went viral, Bryant was honored by Al Sharpton's National Action Network, which is supposedly a civil rights group. The National Action Network named Bryant as somehow the Youth Activist of the Year. And here's part of her acceptance speech. Watch. Hello, my name is Zayana Bryant and I am an activist and organizer in Charlottesville, Virginia. I am so honored to be receiving this year's Youth Activist of the Year Award. I know that young people have always led the way on the front lines of some of our country's most progressive issues and even internationally. Young Black youth are so multifaceted, so gifted, so talented, and able to bring together crowds of people of many different ages and many different walks of life. Well, Zanna Bryant definitely demonstrated that she can bring people together, bring crowds of people together, as she says. That much is clear. What the National Action Network is doing here is honoring someone who gathered a lynch mob to harass, threaten, and defame a young woman, a young innocent woman, solely because of her skin color. Two years later, Dove is doing the same thing. Now, at some level, this isn't surprising. Dove has been on this trajectory for a while. They've unleashed one woke advertising campaign after another. This month, the company set up billboards in New York's Times Square showing a bunch of women exposing their unshaven armpits. And as OutKick pointed out recently, Dove is owned by Unilever, which owns Ben & Jerry's, maybe the single most anti-American corporation you can find outside of Tehran. Uh, this is a beauty company that is clearly set on promoting ugliness and left-wing propaganda. But I repeat myself. But even by the standards of corporate wokeness, this latest move by Dove is extraordinary. I mean, it's revolting in every sense, yes, and it's a deeply bizarre act of self-sabotage by a brand that's already flailing. But it's also a clear sign that we're approaching perhaps the end of the runway, runaway train of leftist ideology that's taken hold of this country in recent years. 
the fat liberation movement that they're embracing is, you might say, the logical endpoint of leftism. It's what we've been leading up to after the past decade or so. Fat liberation and body acceptance explicitly promote and glorify hedonism. They enable the most useless people to feel like martyrs and heroes. I mean, all you have to do is lie around and eat, and suddenly you're part of a, of a movement. And once you're that inert and powerless, there's not much else you can do. There's not really any more activism you can undertake at that point. I expect the fat liberation movement to become more and more popular. Like, this is, this is the movement of the future. This is the future of leftism. Because it's, it's the perfect opportunity for those who crave victim points. All you have to do is nothing, nothing but eat. And you can gain access to a marginalized group, along with all the social capital that comes with it. It's no surprise that corporate America is a fan of this idea. They want us all to be mindless consumers sitting around sedentary with our mouths open, ingesting whatever they shovel in. That's why it's not just Dove that's pushing this. It's why Apple selected several overweight actors for their little Mother Nature sketch, as I mentioned. It's why Calvin Klein and Abercrombie and Victoria's Secret now throw obese models in our faces. It's why Gatorade, supposedly a brand that promotes athleticism, is putting fat yoga instructors in its ads, and so on. We see this all over the place. At the height of the Occupy Wall Street movement, which was the last time corporate America was truly worried about the left in this country, there was um, a saying that you would hear a lot outside of the, the home of J.P. Morgan's president, outside Citibank's corporate headquarters, activists would chant, eat the rich. Well, it took a while, but these mega corporations have finally found a way to stop those chants outside their offices and ensure, ensure that they'll never again come back. The race stuff and the BLM propaganda, the trans hysteria, it's a good start. But now they've identified their finishing move. They realized that what they need to do is to convince the left to eat. Not to eat the rich, but just to eat. And as of now, that effort is, is succeeding beyond their wildest imagination. They are sleeping soundly in the financial district tonight. That's because they know that the fat liberation movement, now unleashed, will soon devour what remains of the left. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, as many of you know, I am going to be on Dancing with the Stars. Not only am I excited for this show, but I am thrilled to be bringing my dog for one of the dances. That's right. We're announcing that right now. And thanks to Rough Greens, my pup will be able to keep up the energy that we need on the dance floor. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Little did I know, before I got Rough Greens, dog food is dead food. Everybody knows nutrition isn't brown, it's green. Well, let Rough Greens boost your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. You just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for dogs too. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black is so confident Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering my listeners a free Jumpstart trial bag so your dog can try it. A free Jumpstart trial bag can be at your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700. That's R-U-F-F greens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700 today. Daily Wire reports on uh, what is supposed to be a controversy, even though uh, there's really nothing controversial here or there shouldn't be. 
Over 100 Catholic schools in Cleveland will no longer tolerate LGBTQ plus affiliation or behaviors. The changes come from new guidelines on sexuality and gender issued by the Catholic Diocese of Cleveland at the close of last month. In a press release, the diocese clarified that the guidelines were a formal policy version of existing church teachings on the subject. Quote, since questions of sex, sexuality, and gender identity have become increasingly prevalent in our society, it is our hope that the policy will help to ensure these matters are addressed in a consistent and authentically Catholic manner across our diocesan institutions and diocesan Catholic schools, and that those who serve will have a clear understanding about expectations and accommodations related to those matters stated the diocese. Here's basically everything in the policy summarized. The policy requires parental notification in the case of minors experiencing gender dysphoria or confusion, declares that parental rejection of a child's preferred pronouns don't constitute grounds for non-disclosure. In other words, you have to tell the parent if the child identifies as the opposite sex. And even if the child says, well, my, my parents won't accept it, you still have to tell the parents. Um, it continues, it bans use of preferred pronouns. It restricts bathroom and facility usage to biological sex. It prohibits admission of students to institution programs and activities like sports designated for the opposite sex. It bans same-sex dates to school dances and mixers. It requires students to comply with dress codes aligning with their biological sex. It bans any celebration or advocacy of LGBTQ plus ideologies or behaviors such as pride flags and bans gender transition of any degree, whether social or medical. Um, just music, almost a, a tear of joy almost comes to my eyes. Music to my ears. Uh, is, this is ex- Well, we'll talk about it in a second, but this is exactly, I mean, this is exactly what the policy should be everywhere, right down you know, to the very last detail. But we'll continue. Um, the policy acknowledged the existence of gender dysphoria, but rejected the modern belief that feelings determine truth. Quote, this understanding erases those intentional embodied distinctions between men and women. As such, this view is contrary to the divinely revealed reality of our true God-given human nature, stated the policy. Under the policy, individuals experiencing gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction would be admitted into their schools and allowed to participate in activities with the contingency that they don't openly express their disagreement with Catholic teaching on sex, sexuality, or gender. Reverend Edward uh, Molesich, the uh, Bishop of Cleveland, stated in an accompanying letter that biological sex coincides with God's divine plan. He said, quote, The human person is a unity of body and soul. We experience the world through our bodies, and it's through the uh, virtuous expression of our bodies that we reveal God. Through times of questioning and confusion, we must accompany our brothers and sisters in Christ with compassion, mercy, and dignity so we might lovingly help them navigate the confusion and arrive at truth. Uh, Molesich directed those with further questions or concerns to contact Diocese Marriage and Family Office. Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb posted on Twitter that he believed the policy represented a shocking betrayal of church teachings. Bibb offered his own definition of Christian faith, sans scripture. Bibb said, quote, For me... Faith is about universal love and acceptance. Instead, the new policy forces LGBTQ plus kids to hide their authentic selves and attends school and attend school in fear of persecution for who they are. Ohio's Democratic minority leader for the Senate, Nikki Antonio, said the, dioce- uh, the diocese should not be given school choice funds over the policy. Quote, I'm extremely disappointed that the diocese has chosen to focus on policies of exclusion over acceptance. State taxpayer dollars should not subsidize exclusionary education. And if these policies stand, then the diocese should not accept state-funded uh, vouchers. Okay. So, first of all, to reiterate uh, what has already been said, this is obviously a fantastic policy. Uh, it, ab- every part of it is absolutely what needs to be in place. Every Catholic school, every Christian school, 
of any denomination should adopt this policy. And if you if you're sending your kid to a private Christian school and they don't have exactly this policy, then you you should be going to the administrators and saying like show them this article and say why isn't this policy in place at this school put it in place or i'm taking my kid out i mean if you're paying money for a private christian school these these kinds of schools uh, oftentimes are not cheap and you're paying money for that to send your kid to a, to a school that's supposed to be why are you sending them there for for the for the for the christian culture the christian education if you don't want that for your kid, then you're sending them to the wrong school. And if you do want that and they don't have a policy like this, then you're wasting your money. You might as well have them in a public school. At least you could do that for free. So every uh, Christian school should have this. Every school period, uh, including public schools, should have a policy like this. Because what is the policy really? It's like... uh, sexuality, LGBT, all that stuff does not belong in the school. That is not for the school. That has nothing to do with what the school is supposed to be doing. And and certainly, uh, the school is supposed to be a place, any school, any educational environment is supposed to be a place of clarity and truth, uh, which means that we teach biological sex that's all that exists. That's all we teach. And we don't uh, affirm confusion. If any kid is confused about it, we try to help them through that confusion. We don't affirm the confusion. This again, th- 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 any educational environment, that's that's what it should be. Um, but this is also, on top of just being what every school should adopt, this is a a very simple, extremely basic distillation of Catholic teaching. And there is no disputing that. I mean, you can dispute it. Like the mayor, what was it, the mayor of Cleveland? Yeah, the Cleveland mayor, Justin Bibb. Uh, Bibb might might try to dispute it. Oh, this is not Catholic teaching. Uh, yes, it is. And that's that's not ambiguous, Okay. Like when we're talking about what Catholic teaching is on things like sexuality, gender, it's actually not ambiguous. Now, if you um, if you listen to many of your average uh, sort of Novus Ordo uh, priests in, in America, it, it may seem somewhat ambiguous. I mean, they're not going to talk about it at all, most of them, because m- many of them are cowards, and so they're not going to approach these issues at all. And so you might you might think based on that that it's ambiguous. And even what you hear from the Pope sometimes might make it sound like there's some gray. There's not. I mean, that, that's the beautiful thing here when it comes to these teachings. They are, they are written out. Okay, you could pick up a catechism, and it's the Catholic Church saying, here's the Catholic teaching on these subjects. And it is very detailed and very clear. And there is no room for ambiguity. So even putting aside the fact that this is just right, this is the correct, you know, these policies are correct by any objective measure, uh, there is certainly no way that a reasonable person could deny that they are, at a minimum, actually the Catholic Church's teachings. Because again, it's all written out, and it's right there. 
And, you, and if you want, you can read it. And uh, if you're not, if you oppose Catholic teaching, well, you're allowed to in America. Don't send your kid to a Catholic school. Okay, if you're sending your kid to a Catholic school and you fundamentally oppose Catholic teaching, well, then you're an idiot. That's your fault. Um, no one is required. There's, there's not any law saying that you have to send your kid to a Catholic school. You're not being forced to do it. In fact, you have to pay money for the privilege. So you're going to the Catholic school and saying, here's money. I really want to send my kid here. And they're telling you, okay, we're a Catholic school. It's right there in the name. So we go by Catholic teaching here because it's a Catholic school. And you have the opportunity there to either say, oh, well, I'm not interested in that. I'll take my money elsewhere. Or you could say, okay, I'm on board. You know, by sending your kid there and paying the money, you, whether, that is you agreeing that you're on board. You can't then turn around and whine that the Catholic school is Catholic. Um, you know, it, it's no different from going to a mosque you know, and, and then complaining because that you're hearing um, Muslim teaching at the mosque. It's exactly the same kind of thing. It's like walking into the mosque and you hear Muslim teaching, uh, Islamic teaching, and then you, you complain, well, what is this? I, didn't, I don't want to hear this. I'm not a Muslim. I don't want to hear this stuff. What, what you, why'd you walk into the mosque then? Um, so that all, all is very clear. The second point to... Uh, the Mayor Bibbs claim, he says, for me, faith is about universal love and acceptance. Okay, well, the first part of that can be correct if you have the appropriate understanding of love. So it's, 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 Christian faith, is it about universal love? Yes, but what do you mean by love? If you mean love the way that it's understood in Christian teaching, the love to willing the good of the other, um, that's what it means to love someone. It means you want what is good for them, and you want to you you want to help them achieve the good in life, and to be good people. Then then yes, I mean, we should want we we should want the good for for everybody. That's not how he means it though, because then he adds on acceptance. And the Christian faith, to be very clear about this, the Christian faith is certainly not about universal acceptance. It is, if anything, the opposite of universal acceptance. That is not what you get from the Christian faith. It's not what you're supposed to get. I mean, you, you can't get universal acceptance anywhere, actually, from any belief system. Any belief system, any uh, uh, religion, any ideology, anything like that. Any political system, any system of beliefs, there's never going to be universal acceptance. As part of the beliefs, there are going to be things that we believe and things we don't believe. We have our, we have our principles, we have our, uh, we have our worldview, we have our teachings, we have our, uh, we have our moral teachings, and then we have the things that are not, that are outside of that. If we accept everything, then it's, then it's nothing. The moment that any belief system accepts everything, it ceases to become a belief system. It, it evaporates. It disappears. 
So if Christianity, as this uh, ridiculous mayor says, if Christianity was really about universal acceptance, that's just another way of, another way of saying that Christianity has, is, doesn't exist. Christianity would destroy itself, would commit suicide if it was really about universal acceptance. But that's not what it is. It's like, no, we're not opening our arms and accepting everything that everybody does and says and believes. No. It's the same thing with when, when you hear that, that churches should be welcoming. Churches should be you know, universally welcoming. Yes, churches should be welcoming. We, we, we should be ready to welcome anyone who wants to come in the doors of the church. But you have to come in ready for repentance, ready to change, ready to, ready to accept what you hear, to accept the, the, the teachings and beliefs that, that, that are going to be offered at the church. If you're not ready to accept that, so, so it's, it's, it's really the burden of acceptance. So you have all these people, I want to be accepted. The burden of acceptance is on you. You have to be willing to accept that there are changes that you need to make in your own life. And we all do. So that's where the acceptance comes in. It's not what this uh, guy is talking about. All right. Here's something from uh, the website Market Watch. It says, Bill Maher and Drew Barrymore recently announced plans to resume their shows amid the Hollywood's writers and actors strike drawing backlash from union officials and public figures alike. Maher hosts Real Time with Bill Maher on HBO, while Barrymore is uh, behind the syndicated Drew Barrymore show. Maher, who announced his decision Wednesday, said in a post on Twitter that it's time to bring people back to work and that much of his staff is struggling mightily. But Maher also said that he will honor the spirit of the strike by not doing a monologue or his popular new rules segment. In other words, elements of the show that require writers. Uh, still, uh, union leadership didn't take kindly to Maher and Bar- Barrymore's decision. The writer's Guild said Wednesday that Mars' plan to return was disappointing, and the union has already picketed tapings of Barrymore's show. Um, Frank Lieberman, an entertainment executive, told MarketWatch that there's no question that some people in the industry are indeed hurting financially and need to find work. But he also thinks that the decisions by Marr and Barrymore go beyond that. It's all about greed, he said. Okay, so I have uh, this story was worth mentioning, I thought, but I have no dog in this fight, of course. I don't care either way. Um, if the Hollywood writers get everything they want in this dispute that's been going on for uh, however many months now, if they get everything they want out of it, then fine. Um, if they get nothing that they want out of it, that is also fine. Don't care either way. It's hard to assess who deserves what because on the one hand, you've got the Hollywood studios and they are, they're the ones, they are who the strike is targeting. Um, and the Hollywood studios, it's not like anyone has any sympathy for them. I mean, they're godless cesspools. On the other hand, Hollywood writers these days are awful, unoriginal, unoriginal, untalented. I mean, the, the, in, in many ways, they could not have timed this strike worse. There could not be worse timing because most of them are so bad at their job. I mean, the, the, the writing in Hollywood is just terrible these days. So all you can really do in this match, I guess, is root for injuries, metaphorically. Metaphorically, I mean, this is a game where you're just rooting for injuries because you can't, you can't root for either side. That said, you do see the kind of inherent um, 
selfishness of these sorts of strikes and organized labor protests and why it's always absurd when you hear from these people that uh, that they care about, you know, the, the working man and this is all about justice and all the rest of it. No, it's not. The people, the writers picketing outside, they don't care about justice. They don't care about helping people who are hurting. They don't care about any of that. Because you've got thousands of other people who are not part of this strike and are not going to benefit from any of the concessions that you may extract. And all of them are out of work. I mean, Bill Maher's show, there's dozens of other people who are not writers who work on that show and rely on it for an income. Obviously. You know, um, and, and they're not making an income right now. And they don't benefit at all from any of this. And if the writers get whatever they're asking for, and I don't even know what they're asking for because I don't care, but if they get whatever they ask for, these other people are not going to see any of those benefits. And so they want to get back to work so they can feed their families. And then the, the, the writers on strike have the audacity to be angry about it. It's like, how dare you feed your own families? I'm trying to get a raise over here. That's what a strike is. Like, you want a raise, you want your own money, and so you're going to make everybody else suffer. Not the bosses. Like, the Hollywood studio bosses, they're not, they don't care. They obviously don't care. That's why they're not, that's why they're going to they're let this strike continue. They got, they got money to burn. You're not hurting them any. You're hurting everybody else who are not millionaires. Many of them make less money than you do as a writer on these shows. They have no concern about that at all. They don't care. Um, all right. John Fetterman has uh, made the mistake of speaking on camera a few times lately. And, um, you know, he kind of, he got into office. Then he was in an institution for uh, mental problems for several weeks. And, you know, and, and we were supposed to have no issue with that whatsoever, right? Because he said it was depression. And, uh, and anytime someone talks about depression, there's supposed to be a sort of hushed silence and reverence around it. And we're, no one is allowed to make any criticisms whatsoever. And so we couldn't point out that, like, this guy was just elected to Senate. And now he's in the hospital for psychological issues. Is that, is that okay? <laughs> we're just okay with that um, for a senator? And that happened. And he finally got out of the, ho- the hospital. We, we, we haven't heard much from him, uh, but he's finally he's, he's appearing in front of camera uh, in front of the camera again recently. He has a few times. And um, and if you're wondering if things have gotten any better for him, they haven't. So here here he was uh, a few days ago, earlier in the week, when asked about the possibility of a Biden impeachment. Let's watch. About this news that uh, Speaker McCarthy has formally launched an impeachment inquiry, has said he's going to. Oh my God! Really? Oh my gosh! You know? Oh, it's devastating. (laughs) Ooh! Don't do it! Please don't do it! Oh no! Oh no! Okay, so there he was a few days ago, and if somehow uh, you might think it can't get any weirder than that, but it can because there was a, a few days later, another journalist followed up with him on this question. And this time he's, for reasons that are unclear, he's wearing a, uh, a, a Bob Casey mask, Senator Bob Casey, 
He has a mask of Senator Bob Casey that he's wearing, and, and that's never explained. Um, and here's how he responds. You basically dared House Republicans to launch this impeachment inquiry. Now they have. Yeah. Do you oh, regret it? No, please don't do it. it. It's just like those dangerous men over there, you know, the, the cheap thrills and everything. I, I don't know. It's just to me, it's, it's just like the, if they got to do it, they got to do it. You know, are, are you it, it's a political loser. So his response was. Just like those dangerous men over there, the cheap thrills and everything, if you got to do it, you got to do it. And I, I watched that clip several times because I, I'm, look, I want to believe, I wish the best for, uh, for Fetterman. I, I want to believe he's, he's getting better. I want to believe just for my own sake as an American citizen that, um, that we don't have a uh, sitting U.S. senator who has completely lost his mind entirely. So I would like to believe that he's getting better and can speak uh, coherently uh, at least. And so I listened to that clip a few times and I'm like, okay, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe that made sense. Let's try to make sense of it. Just like those dangerous men over there, the cheap thrills and everything. I, that does, I can't, I can't, I can't make sense of it. It doesn't mean anything. So he's, he's, he's babbling nonsensically. He's walking through the halls of Congress wearing a mask of a different senator, babbling nonsensically, and no one knows what he's even trying to say. And this is okay. This is an okay situation for all of us. We're not allowed to, to, to question it. Uh, yeah, we talked about this earlier in the week, but this is, we are just not a serious country. We are not a serious country. When you have people like this running it, we are not a serious country. Um, okay, we got to get to the next segment here, but there's a couple other stories I wanted to mention briefly, if we have time, which we don't, but I will anyway. Um, I do want to mention this for Sports Illustrated, so I've had this for a couple of days. Uh, it says, the intrigue surrounding the Jets quarterback position following Aaron Rodgers' week one injury quickly picked up steam. Aaron Rodgers, of course, if you don't follow football, he uh, left the Packers and went over to the Jets at the age of, uh, I don't know, how, I think he's 38 or 39 now. Went over to the Jets, and it's getting a lot of hype in the offseason. Aaron Rodgers is going to revitalize his career. Uh, finally, the Jets are going to be relevant, you know, for the first time in 600 years. Maybe the Jets will... Uh, have a chance at a Super Bowl, and then Aaron Rodgers runs out of the tunnel and uh, for the first series on offense on Sunday, and within about 75 seconds, he's torn his Achilles and out for, he's out for the season, uh, which is, I mean, it's, it's terrible, um, but in a, very, in a very dark way, there's a certain humor to it because this is just the Jets. If you know anything about football, the Jets really are cursed. And uh, it, 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 it's exactly what we all kind of expect. It's, it's shocking, but also exactly what you expect. And it's also why I could, when they announced that Aaron Rodgers was going to the Jets, I could, it's like, of all, why would you do that? Of all the places you could go, I mean, you're Aaron Rodgers. There's got, there have to be other options, including just going to the golf course and retiring. You can do that too. You're going to go to the Jets. That always ends in tragedy for everyone. 
Every person who's ever gone to the Jets, it ends in tragedy. Why would you do it? And that's exactly what happened here. So anyway, he went down with the injury. He's gone for the season. Um, and continue with uh, Sports Illustrated. While we know Zach Wilson is the team's starting quarterback and there won't be any form of competition, there's plenty of debate over the backup job. Things took an interesting twist on Tuesday when it was reported that former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick had entered his name into the conversation. According to NFL reporter Jordan Schultz, who said he spoke with Kaepernick directly, the 35-year-old's agent reached out to the Jets about an NFL return following the injury to Rodgers. Um, Quote, Schultz said, I, I just spoke with Colin Kaepernick, who tells me his agent has reached out to the Jets about his desire to make an NFL return. Kaepernick remains on the West Coast working out. Uh, but 24 hours later, the Jets made it clear that they're not interested in Colin Kaepernick. Um, now, anytime you get a story like this about Cap, every single year, it's the same thing. It's been the tradition now going on seven years that a starting quarterback goes down with an injury. And then there's all this speculation. Oh, maybe they'll call up Colin Kaepernick. Um, and the first thing you always have to point out is that Colin Kaepernick is the guy uh, infamously in his Netflix special who, who said that NFL owners are, are like plantation owners and being on an NFL squad, being a starting quarterback for an NFL team and making millions of dollars plus millions more with endorsement deals is like slavery. It's just like being a slave. It's just like being forced to pick cotton in the fields in the, in the 1840s. Exactly the same, he said. And yet, somehow, this guy is eager to get back on the plantation. He wants to be owned again. He wants to be enslaved again. Very interesting thing. But I also love, I love this tradition of the Colin Kaepernick speculation because it always shows the people who know football and the people who don't. Um, and so this time around, it was people like Jamil Hill. She's always in the, in the mix. He was out there pushing for the Jets to, to pick up Colin Kaepernick. And putting everything else aside about Kaepernick, right? Like, if you know, if you have even basic football knowledge, you know that there's just zero. Ch- He's 35 years old. He hasn't played football in seven years. And he was already on, he was already past his prime when he left the NFL. He, he, he was on the bench. He got kicked out of his, uh, his starting job for, for Blaine Gabbert. Before he left, and now he's been gone for seven years making uh, shoe commercials, and you think he can come back at 35 and, uh, and succeed in the NFL, which just kind of shows, shows us what your, uh, the extent of your football knowledge, I suppose. All right, let's get to Was Walsh Wrong? If you're a man, it's required that you grow a beard, hey, we're the sweet baby gang. Good is the, uh, just kidding, it's the comment section today. The comment section lives on uh, on Fridays, as I explained uh, recently. So I've uh, got a few comments we'll read through from um, the shows this week. White Squall says, I used to be 100% confident that uh, Matt was trolling everyone, especially Ben Shapiro, about his certainty that aliens exist, but now I'm not so sure. Well, obviously, I'm not trolling at all. I'm 100% serious about everything I say when it comes to aliens. Um but at the same time, I will admit that, you know, I, I have you exactly where I want you. This is exactly what I want. I want you to be unsure if I'm serious about anything that I'm saying. Everything that I'm saying, all of it could just be one. It could be one big, this could be performance art. The whole thing. You never know. You never know. Um, 
Jaybird says, there was this documentary called The Secret a decade ago or so that had basically this message about manifestation, but combined with the idea that the powers that be are hiding this knowledge from us. It was for some reason a huge success where I live, and I was dumbfounded at the amount of seemingly normal people who bought into that nonsense. Yeah, we talked about the manifestation trend, which is especially popular on TikTok, of course. A lot of people brought up this thing called The Secret, which I'd never actually heard of before, but I was aware that you know manifestation, as I said during that segment, it's just it, it it is itself a manifestation of earlier trends going back years and years and years. And so so it always just pops something like this pops up and becomes trendy every decade or so has its own version of the, ba- the same basic thing. Why is it? A, it's not hard to see why it's appealing to someone. First of all, when it comes to the secret, you know the idea that there is some deep dark. Uh, secret about the universe that uh, is being hidden from you and that, 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 that you know, you, you can obtain this knowledge somehow. That, that's very appealing to people. Um, it appeals to people because, uh, for one thing, it's like a movie. It's very cinematic and everyone wants to feel like they, you know, people live dull lives and they want to feel like they're living in a movie. Um, it appeals to your ego as well. Oh, I know the secret. It's like the manifestation TikTokers. I, I know this. I know the secret. I know the trick. I know the secrets of the universe. I know how to make everything work. I know and you don't. I can tell you. And then when I tell you, you'll know it and other people won't. So it appeals to ego. But most of, most of all, it appeals to uh, laziness. And that, as always, you know, for any trend to really uh, pick up steam these days, it has to first and foremost appeal to people's lazy side. It has to be something that they can do by doing nothing. And manifestation is perfect for that. You do nothing at all except think something, and everything in your life gets better. Um, Travis says, my daughter said stuff like this, and I asked her to concentrate on heat really hard and manifest a fire. And then she saw the stupidity. Sometimes kids need to be reminded that life can be harsh, um, but working through that harshness is what creates success. You and your efforts, not the universe, to the universe you are like a bacterium on a dust speck. Well, that's exactly right. The universe, as we said, the universe doesn't, the universe has no feelings about you whatsoever. Uh, the universe will, you know, the, the earth, the sun will explode one day and incinerate the, the entire solar system and the universe won't care at all. It won't mean anything to the universe because the universe is, is, is a big mindless vacuum. So if you're appealing to the universe, then you're already on the, uh, the wrong side of things. Um, life starts now, says Matt. I love the new intro. I don't know why it's getting so much hate, being that you were kind enough to grace us with some beautiful banjo music, of course, played by you, I'm sure. Well, thank you. At least one person has the right feeling about the intro, which is, again, objectively better than the old one. And yes, uh, did I, am I the one who plays the banjo in the, in the intro? Of course I do. In fact, I play it live every single show. You don't see it because we don't, we're not, but I'm, that, that is all live music, every show, me playing the banjo. It's true. Uh, and then a bunch of comments about my upcoming appearance on Dancing with the Stars. Cornbread Oracle says, I really admire Matt for taking the time to uh, keep giving us great content while he's busy with his new Dancing with the Stars gig. Truly stunning and brave. Um, yeah, that, that's something that that's, uh, obviously I had to take some time off in the summer because I was, you know, I was doing a lot of dance practice. But um for the most part, I'll be able to keep doing the show. Uh, I wake up early in the morning. I, I do uh, some dance practice. But that, I've always done that. I wake up, first thing I do in the morning is I dance. 
um, for about an hour. And so I'll be able to do that, get off the show, go to the dance studio. So I'll be able to fit all this in and hopefully I won't miss too many shows. Um, Dream Weaver says, I can't wait to watch Matt twirls way down the stage and leave us all in all of his grace and talent. Jay Journey says, Victor Korkigliov choreographed Madonna's Material Girl video in 1987. He also worked with Janet Jackson. He mentioned Matt in an interview last year saying, the Matt Walsh, he good for the dance. Like vodka, he melt ice cube. Make him proud, Matt. Um, that's, uh, that's true. In fact, if you, if you research uh, the, the uh, choreographer, uh, you'll, you'll find that exact quote. Um, and finally, absolutely love the way you milked this on Twitter for days. The negativity just kept coming and coming, and you just kept replying and replying. I was laughing my off, and you're still doing it now. Kudos, dude. Chef's kiss. Well, sir, keep your on, because uh, I was not joking. No part of this is a joke. And I don't know what else you need. I think we showed the evidence, didn't we? Variety reported that Matt Walsh is going to be on Dancing with the Stars. I don't know what else, what else do you need to understand that this is not a joke at all. When Dr. Jordan B. Peterson made the decision to join Daily Wire Plus, it was a major win for those who champion free speech and intellectual debate. With one year of unparalleled output, his contributions have set new standards and remain unmatched by any other platform. Daily Wire Plus now has a vast array of exclusive Jordan Peterson content, offering hundreds of hours of captivating content you're not going to find anywhere else. Jordan has created thought-provoking works that reshape your perspective on life, which includes vision and destiny, marriage, and dragons, monsters, and men. Additionally, you can immerse yourself in discussions that nurture your spiritual side, like Logos and Literacy in Jordan's groundbreaking series on the Book of Exodus. That's only the beginning. I haven't even mentioned his Beyond Order lecture series or his extensive archive of lectures and podcasts. This is the absolute compendium of all things Jordan. Plus, there's even more new exclusive content on the horizon. This is only beginning. By becoming a Daily Wire Plus member, you'll embark on an unforgettable experience that will fuel your thirst for knowledge and inspire personal growth like never before. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we turn to a publication that we haven't mentioned in a while, but has historically provided a lot of fodder for this segment, and that would be the gay news site Pink News, which makes its way back onto our radar today with a recent article titled, Same-Sex Couples Feel Like Second-Class Citizens and Face Gay Tax Trying to Start Families. Now, this may be the first time you've ever heard of the gay tax, given that it doesn't exist, but let's read on to find out more about this fictional phenomenon. Quote, for Whitney and Megan Bacon Evans, having a family has always was always in the cards, but the influencers, like other queer couples, say they never imagined the gay tax they'd face on their fertility journey. Now, just another side note here, and not to get too te technical, but having a family is most certainly not ever in the cards for two women or two men. Uh, the word have in this context usually means create or make. It means that the two of you are together are making a family, creating children, becoming mothers, but that's not something that two women can ever actually do. One woman can create a baby with an anonymous man who loans his sperm for the purpose, um, and, and she would be the mother of the child, but the other woman is not anything at all in relation to the child. And this is actually not just a technicality, it's the whole point, but we'll get back to that in a minute. Reading on, quote, the couple who have been together for almost 15 years knew within six months that they wanted to have children together one day, even picking out names for their future kids. Whitney tells uh, Pink News that the couple was really in the dark because there were no examples of families that looked like theirs who accessed fertility treatment through the NHS. Then when they finally got an NHS consultation, they were given the wrong information. 
The couple, known collectively online as Wiegen, were told that they needed to go through at least six cycles of intrauterine insemination, IUI, in the clinic before they're eligible for NHS in vitro fertilization, IVF. But they later found out that, in fact, it was actually 12 cycles, which costs upwards of $1,600, euros, I suppose, for each cycle. Uh, they say, quote, they say six of which had to be at the clinic, but you can't do home insemination with sperm from a sperm bank, so 12 of which would have to be U, uh, IUI in the clinic, Megan says. So you're looking at around 25,000 euros to 50,000, potentially, depending on tests, the cost of sperm, which is expensive as well, let alone anything else that goes with it. Now, as you listen to this, you may still be waiting for the part where they explain how gay couples are specifically penalized or taxed. Well, you'll be waiting around forever because they never do get around to that because, again, it doesn't exist. Continuing, we were just really shocked because we're like, hang on a minute. There's clearly a big unfair financial burden that's been placed on same-sex female couples in this situation because the criteria for a cis-heterosexual couple is two years of unprotected sex. So while we know that it takes its toll and it's not a fun process for anyone to go through trying to conceive, there's no evidence required and there's no financial cost. There's just a clear divide where there's a, a gay tax, if you will, being put on lesbian couples. Winnie says she felt like a second-class citizen. The couples weren't worthy of having a family as a result of this unequal treatment. So in 2021, 2021 they launched a landmark judicial review into these hurdles, campaigning for fertility equality across the UK. While sharing their story and campaign online, Megan and Whitney heard from other couples facing this challenging situation, with one saying they spent 100,000 euro, but still didn't meet the criteria from the NHS. Um, now, the rest of this story is that after Megan and Whitney went to the courts, they, of course, got what they wanted. An NHS group called the Frimley Integrated Care Board uh, stepped up to, quote, volunteer to give same-sex couple, uh, female couples the same access to fertility treatment as heterosexual couples, as The Guardian reported a few weeks ago. So they whined about it, and the people they were whining at caved immediately, as expected. And they're now free from the burden of the fictional gay tax. But what is the gay tax exactly? You know, it's, it's hard to tell what they're even talking about in this article. I read, unfortunately, two other articles on the case, and they always leave it somewhat vague. But here's the crux of it. If you live over in the UK, the healthcare system there, the NHS, will help fund your fertility treatments if you're a couple having problems with your fertility. So the two years of unprotected sex line in the article refers to the requirement that a couple, a man and a woman, try to conceive naturally for two years. And if they can't, then the assumption is that they're suffering from infertility and the NHS will help them obtain treatment. The problem is that two women or two men cannot conceive naturally to begin with. They are, in principle, by their nature, uh, unable to have kids. Whitney and Megan and many other gay couples in the UK say that that means that they should automatically get free IVF. But the NHS, prior to folding like a lawn chair, had a different view. The funding for IVF was supposed to go to people who have fertility disorders of some kind. So if lesbian couples want that funding, they have to prove that, that one of them has a fertility disorder. Being lesbian is not a fertility disorder. If two women try to get together and get pregnant and they're unable to, that doesn't prove that they have a, a fertility disorder. It's like trying to toast a piece of bread with a toaster unplugged and then claiming that the machine is broken. So the old NHS rules were actually holding lesbian couples to the same standard. But the lesbian couples wanted a special new standard, and they got it. 
or they're in the process of getting it as the wheels of bureaucracy turn slowly. So that, that's why this story is relevant. It's a perfect encapsulation of our culture, and especially of the LGBT movement. Same-sex couples claim that they want the same rights as everybody else, but really they want new rights. They want special rights. They want special privileges that nobody else gets. The NHS had offered fertility treatment uh, funding for people with infertility problems. And, and those people had to prove that they were infertile. There was a process. And then the lesbian couples come along and they declare that they should get funding right away automatically, even if they aren't infertile. They want a rule where straight couples have to be infertile to get funding, but they get funding whether they're infertile or not. So in the name of equal rights, they demand special rights. It's a tale as old as time, or at least as old as the LGBT movement itself. So to understand this dynamic, you have to understand its, its underpinnings. Traditionally, the Western world has viewed a human right as something fundamental to our human nature. By our nature, we have rights. All men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable, right, unalienable rights. So through the creator, by our nature, we have rights. This is what's always been meant by the doctrine of human rights. But the LGBT movement comes along and they reject this idea completely. They do not claim the rights that we possess by our nature as human beings. They claim rights over and above nature. They claim rights over nature itself. In fact, they say that our nature, rather than giving us rights, actually infringes on our rights. And so they demand rights that transcend nature itself. Nature, or really nature's creator, has decided that new human beings can only be conceived by one male and one female. By our nature, two women can never create a child, can never make a family, just as two men can never create a child, can never make a family. That's just how it is. This is the way it's been set up. Claiming to be persecuted by this fact is like claiming that you're uh, persecuted because you can't fly or you can't breathe underwater. It might be nice to fly. It might be nice to breathe underwater. You might wish that you could. But the fact that you can't isn't any kind of infringement against you. It's simply reality. It is what it is. You might have the desire to sprout wings and fly, but you don't have the right to sprout wings and fly. But the LGBT movement says that it somehow has the unalienable and fundamental right to do things that are impossible. It has the right somehow to transcend nature itself. A man declares that he has the right to be a woman. Two women declare that they have the right to conceive children. But the man cannot be a woman. And the two women cannot conceive children. Because it's impossible. It's just impossible. It's not how nature is set up. Whether you like it or not. It just isn't so. So then they insist that if they can't do these things, society must step in. We in society must help them pretend that they can do what they really can't do. It's our responsibility to call the man a woman, even though he isn't. It's our responsibility to fund fertility treatments for the two women so that they can create a baby in a petri dish and pretend to be a family. 
Nature itself has deprived them of the ability to do what they feel they have the right to do, and so society must compensate. This is what the LGBT camp always means when it talks about rights. It is the fundamental arrogance and entitlement that underlies the entire movement. It's what our friends Whitney and Megan are really demanding. And it's also why they are today canceled. That'll do it for the, the show today and this week. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.